1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is commonly called the love chapter. Uh, chances are, if you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard this chapter quoted. And that's great, and that's fine. I actually use this text when I do weddings. But I'm going to tell you right now, this was not written for weddings. This was not written for, um, it can apply to that, but that's not why it's in the scripture. So let's get down to what, why did Paul write these words? Now remember, we have chapter and verse. So when we get to chapter 13, there's a big 13 there. When Paul originally wrote this letter, there were no 13s and little numbers dividing this letter up. It was just a letter he wrote on a scroll, on a parchment. And these numbers, verses, chapters are all added to make it easier for us. And they do make it easier, but sometimes it, it, it uh, also hinders us because we want to break things up and we kind of lose the continuity or the meaning. So chapter 12 flows right into chapter 13. So I want you just to pretend like that big 13's not even there. The subject hasn't changed. It's not a, a different subject, a different time. This all flows right together. And so right out of this discussion about spiritual gifts and the body, how we are members of the body, and God made each of us, and he placed each of us in the body, and he gave us our gifts, and he gives us our functions, and all of this, this flows right into chapter 13. So I'm going to read these 13 verses. Chapter 13 has 13 verses. Let's read this. Uh, follow along with me as we read together. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. Father in heaven, we ask that you would, by your grace and by the power of your spirit, open our hearts and open our minds. God, if we're blind, if we're deaf, heal us. Heal us of our blindness. Heal us of our deafness. Lord, reveal to us your truth. Let it change us and transform us. Renew our mind. Conform us to the very image of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you would do this, that you would be glorified in your church. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go through these 13 verses, and let's look 
at what the Apostle Paul is teaching us. This is jam-packed with truth. That's very important for us. Now, remember, context is really important. So what's the context of, of what I just read? The context of what I just read is Paul just got through talking about, writing about spiritual gifts. And there was fussing and fighting and jealousy and pride and arrogance and division in this church in Corinth because of the spiritual gifts. And some were very proud that they had some gifts that others did not have. And they used that as leverage against the body. And so instead of the gifts building up the body, the gifts in this context in the Corinthian church were really beginning to tear the body apart. So Paul is writing this letter and he's bringing correction. And he gives a definition of spiritual gifts. He talks about the body, how God has placed each one. You don't choose what gift you get. You don't get to choose how it operates. God chooses who he gives the gifts to. God chooses how we function in the body. God chooses our place. Paul makes it so simplistic. In other words, he says, God made you an ear if you're an ear. God made you an eye if you're an eye. God made you a hand if you're a hand. You didn't do that. God did that. So you can't boast against other parts of the body because every part of the body is as important and, and is vital to the functioning of the whole body as the other is. Just because we can't see some parts, just because some parts have more honor than others, just because some parts are, have more modesty than others, it doesn't mean they're less important. In fact, some of those parts are more important. Like your stomach or some of your inward parts, very important. We can't function without them, but we don't see them. They're not they're not visible and they're not accentuated like other parts of our bodies are. And so he comes then to chapter 13. And at the end of chapter 12, he says this. In other words, not all have the same gifts, not all have the same appointment, all have the same calling, but earnestly desire the best or the higher gifts. And yet, I show you a more excellent way. So he says, there's nothing wrong with spiritual gifts. As a matter of fact, God gave them for the body, but let me show you a more excellent way. And he leads into, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. You ever gone to a concert? You ever gone to a, a band concert, a symphony? Can you imagine what the symphony would be like if all they had were cymbals and brass? There would be no melody. You would not be able to distinguish anything. It would just be a bunch of clanging brass. But when you put all the rest of the orchestra together and you've got strings and woodwind and as, long, as well as percussion, then it all functions together, flows together, and you've got this beautiful sound. Paul says, look, when we speak, he's talking about a gift. What is the gift? The Corinthian church, for some reason, valued the gift of tongues. They were all caught up with this. He said, listen... Though I speak with the language of men or even of angels, if I don't have love, my speech is meaningless. I'm like a brass, a cymbal. Without the orchestra, I'm just banging this together, but there is no distinction, there is no melody, there's nothing but a meaningless, annoying sound taking place. So that when we speak without love, our speech is meaningless. Verse 2, he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, here's the gift of prophecy, the gift of the word of wisdom, the gift of the word of knowledge, the gift of faith. He lists four gifts here. He says, and what's he saying? If I have all the gifts, but I don't have love, I am nothing. So he's teaching us that, that our speech without love means nothing and our gifts or the manifestations of the Spirit without love make us nothing. We are nothing without love. We can be the most gifted, the most talented, but without love, we are nothing. I mean, 
though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods and feed the poor, if I give everything I have to feed the poor, if I even give my body to be burned, if I give even to that degree but have not love, it profits me nothing. Do you know there's a lot of people in churches who think that because they give large sums of money that somehow God has given them a special place? Or there's people that spend all of their time doing good works for people who really need the help. And they think because of their much doing of good works that somehow they hold a special place with God above other people. Paul says you can give all your goods to the poor. You can even give your body to be burned. But if you don't have love, it will profit you nothing. It's an amazing statement. So speech, our speech, our words without love, they mean nothing. Our gifts, our talents, the manifestations of the Spirit, as glorious as they may be, as, as wonderful as they may be, as charismatic as they may be without love, it makes me nothing. And it doesn't matter how many and to what degree I do good works, if I do them without love, it profits me nothing. So what do we have without love? The answer Paul gives is without love, we have nothing. Without love, we have nothing of worth. Our worth, listen church, our worth is not in our gifts. It's not in the things that we possess. It's not in our speech. It's not in our gifts. It's not in our good works. It's in nothing. It's in nothing that we possess. Our worth is is in the one who possesses us. You have worth today because Christ has taken possession of you. If Christ has not taken possession of you, you are apart from him, and if you are apart from him, you are apart from life. You have no life. John 15, Jesus says, those branches not connected to the vine, they're Cast aside, they dry up, and they are fit for nothing but the fire. Because those branches not connected to the vine are not connected to life. And if we're not connected to life, then all we have is death. There are a lot of people that go through life trying to find their worth in the things that they do. And you'll never find your worth in what you do. You must come to understand your worth is in a person. And it's not yourself. It is the person of Christ. It is the person that this scripture from the very beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, points us to. The point of the Bible is to not teach us good principles for living. Please get that out of your mind. If you find the Christ of the Bible, you will not have any trouble living by good principles. You won't have to try to find a formula to live by if you'll just find the person this book is pointing you to. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Get that out of your head because that's not what the Bible stands for. This is not your blueprint for living. This is the roadmap to point you to a destination and that destination is Christ. And, and it's not the Christ you're going to find when you die one day and get to heaven. It better be the Christ that you find right here, right now, in this life, before you leave earth. Christ, Christ is the subject of the book from beginning to end. Love is not an emotion, though love evokes emotion. And we can describe love in emotional terms. But what Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians 13 is not emotional love. What Paul is describing in, verse, in chapter 13 is very simply a person. 1 Corinthians 13 is about a person. And the person's not you. The person is Christ. 
1 Corinthians 13 is not written just so that you can know how to interact better with your husband, your wife, your family, your friends, your neighbors. It's written to reveal to you a person. His name is Jesus Christ. And without him, we have nothing that is of any worth. So let's look at verse 4 through verse 8. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked easily. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So we have a list of things here. It tells us that love suffers long or love is patient. It tells us that love is kind. I want you to think about these in relation to Galatians 5, and 23, where Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit. These are all consistent with the fruit of the Spirit. These are not works that we produce. This is fruit that's produced by the life of Christ, by the life of God, by the Spirit of God in us. Just like in just a few months, the buds are going to begin to break open on fruit trees. Those buds break open from the inside out. These characteristics that Paul writes in this letter, they must break open in us from the inside out. So love is kind. Love does not envy. Love doesn't parade itself. It doesn't show itself off. That's what the Corinthians were doing. Look, look at my gift. No, love doesn't do that. Love doesn't point to me, love points to Christ. Love is not puffed up. It's not arrogant. It's not prideful. Love does not seek its own. Love is not selfish. Think of Christ as we go through this. What was the most unselfish act ever committed in human history? It was Christ crucified for you and for me. Love is not selfish. Love is not provoked. It's not easily angered. God is long-suffering. Conway said it today in, in uh, the Bible study. I mean, think of all the people through human history who not only have blasphemed God, but I think of the things that have been done, not only in the name of God, but in opposition to God. Yet God is not easily provoked. He is long suffering. The salvation you have, you don't have because you deserve it. You have it because God is long-suffering, and he did not give to each one of us what we truly deserve, because we do not deserve salvation. We do not deserve his life. Yet in his long-suffering, he gave us life instead of what we truly deserved. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. It certainly thinks no evil about others. Love rejoices in the truth. It does not rejoice in iniquity or sin. Love doesn't say, yeah, got what he deserved. Because God didn't say about me or about you, yeah, got what he deserved. Because God didn't give us what we deserved. If you're saved today, if you're born again today, I promise you God did not give you what you deserved. And those who will spend an eternity separated from God in a sinner's hell, God does not rejoice in their iniquity, though he will justly give to them what they deserve. Grace has given to you what you did not deserve because Christ took the justice of God in himself on the cross on your behalf. Justice was served. It just was not served upon you. It was served upon Christ on your behalf. Love rejoices in the truth. Love bears up under all things. Love doesn't wilt under pressure. Love doesn't crumble under injustice and iniquity. It bears up. 
it holds up. It carries all things. Love does that. You can't do that. Only Christ can do that. Husbands and wives, if you're trying to love one another out of your own love, if you're trying to bear up under the pressures of your marriage, it's not going to work. Because your love, your human love, your human will, is no matter how strong your willpower is, it will fail one day. But if you will allow Christ to become the one that bears up under all things, if you will allow Christ to begin to hold you up, and you will come to understand that you have no ability within yourself to hold yourself up. You have no strength within yourself to make yourself strong enough. The Bible is not a book that teaches us how to become strong enough to bear all things. The Bible is a book that teaches us we are not strong enough. We are absolutely hopeless and we need to put our hope in the only one who is strong enough, and that is Christ. Love believes all things. Love never loses faith. Faith is not something you gave yourself. Faith is something God gave you. God doesn't lose faith. The Bible even says when we're faithless, He is faithful. You were faithless when God saved you. You were a sinner when God saved you. The Bible says we were His enemy when He saved us. He is the one who never loses faith. And he imparts, he gives to each man a measure of faith, Romans chapter 12 says. So God has imparted to you faith. Don't trust in your own faith. Trust in the faith of the one who never loses faith. You may give up on yourself. God never gives up on us. And that should give us hope. That even in our darkest moment, in our darkest hour, even when we want to lose hope, even when we have lost faith, God never stops believing. God never stops hoping. God is the author of our hope. He is the author of our faith. Put your hope in Him who is faithful. Amen? Amen? Love. Love believes all things. It never loses faith. Love hopes all things. It never loses hope. Love endures all things. It never quits. The enemy came to Christ when he was tempted in the wilderness. And he said, if you'll just bow down before me, I'll give you all of these kingdoms. I know you're hungry. You haven't eaten in 40 days. You could so easily turn these stones into bread. The scripture says that the angels won't even let you stump your toe. You could jump off the pinnacle of this temple right now. And they would bear you up. Jesus in the garden on the eve of his crucifixion and he prays, Father, if there is any way for this cup to pass from me, let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He prayed that three times. And it was so intense that the Bible says that his sweat became as great drops of blood. I, I've, I, I've never been under that kind of pressure. 
but the Savior was. I can tell you right now, I don't think I could stand that kind of pressure. But he is love who endures all things. He never quits. He didn't quit. This is who love is. This is not who you are. This is who he is. This is who loves you. Even when you want to quit, even when you have quit, he doesn't quit. Even when you've given up on yourself, and maybe there have been times in your life when you've given up on God, he never quits. He doesn't. If that were, if that were the case, none of us would be saved today. Love endures all things. Love never fails. You know what that means? That means love is eternal. That doesn't mean love never fails like that light bulb might go out one day. Or I failed the test. It means something much greater than that. The reason love can never fail is because love is eternal. So the description of love here is the description of a person. And that person is Christ. Christ is our life, and there is no life apart from Christ. If you are not in Christ right now, you are not in life. Has nothing to do whether you're physically alive or not. Your physical life's not going to get you to heaven one day. It's the eternal life that we have in Christ. that brings us into the presence of the Father. So I want you, I'm going to stress this and I want you to understand this. This is about a person. His name is Jesus. Christ is the person we are being conformed to. Romans chapter 8. Let me read it to you. Listen to the scripture. Romans chapter 8. Let me begin in verse 28. Here's a wonderful promise. It's linked to my thought here. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. Christ is the person we are being conformed to right now. Everything that's happening in your life right now, the good, the bad, and the ugly, God is taking it, he is using it, he is conforming you to the image of the Son of God. That is a promise for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So my question right now to you is, do you love God? Do you know that you are called according to his purpose? If you love God, let me just assure you, you are called according to his purpose. And if you love God, 1 John four nineteen, it's because God loved you first. We love God because he first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. So if you love God, if you, if you can just look into your heart right now and you hear this question in your heart, do I love God? And the answer is, yes, I love God. That's because God has poured his love into your heart. And if God has poured his love into your heart, then God has called you according to his purpose. And if God has poured his love into your heart and called you according to his purpose, his promise to you is that he will work all things together for good concerning you because you are being conformed, because he foreknew you, he predestined you to what? To be conformed to the image of the Son of God. That is taking place, that's transpiring right now in you by the work of by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we walk through this life, 
Whether we're on the mountaintop or whether we're in the valley, whether we're descending or whether we're ascending, whether we're going into a situation or coming out of a situation, wherever we are, the promise is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is love. This is the person of love who never fails, who never quits, who never loses hope, who never loses faith who believes all things, who bears up under all things, who endures all things, who is patient and kind and long-suffering. Toward who? Toward us. This is who loves you. This is who possesses you. If you are born again, if you are saved, this is not about you trying to work really hard to become something. This is about who did the heavy lifting for you. He died on the cross. He finished the work on the cross for you. Now he has captured you, taken you. You belong to him. You're his. And this is how the scripture defines this one that has come to take possession of you. Can you lose? No, you can't lose. Is he ever going to quit? He's never going to quit. Is he ever going to give up on you? No, he's never going to give up on you. Is he finally going to just get so tired of your mistakes and your failures that he's going to say, forget you, buddy? No, he can't do that. It's not who he is. It's not in his nature. It's not in his character. No, He will not do that. This is the promise. This is the hope you have. This is the love you have who is Christ. So Christ is the person we're being conformed to. Christ is the person being formed in us. The life being made manifest in us and being made known through us. To who? To all. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, So love describes more than how we're to act or relate to one another. Love is the person of Christ, the one who is our life, the one being formed in us to make manifest, to be made manifest in us to all. Remember, we're the ground, he's the seed. It's not the ground that's growing, it's the seed that's growing in the ground. It's Christ being formed in the ground of my heart, in the ground of your heart. It's Christ that needs to grow and become manifest to those around us, to the world around us. Amen? Verse 8, love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. So love never fails. The one thing that does not change and remains constant and eternal is love. Why? Because love is a person. It is Christ. But prophecies, tongues, knowledge, they will fail. Prophecies proclaim Tongues speak. Knowledge informs. Paul is contrasting love with spiritual gifts here. Prophecy, tongues, knowledge, they proclaim, they speak, they inform. Those are all about someone. Remember? The point is, what does the Holy Spirit do? He's given to us to point us to Christ, to reveal Christ to us, to make known to us Christ. So, prophecy, in the correct biblical sense, should be proclaiming Christ to us. Tongues should be speaking about, proclaiming, pointing us to Christ. Knowledge, God wants to give knowledge of what? Knowledge of his son. 
So knowledge, the point of knowledge is to point us to Christ. So I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not real mechanically inclined. So, you know, there's some things that I just, you know, I'll call Scott Keene. Or I'll call, you know, Conway or Mr. Rout. Because they've got knowledge, much, much more knowledge than I have about many, most things. This is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about, you know, the knowledge to uh, create uh, electricity, generate electricity is going to pass away one day. And we're going to all be in a dark, uh, going back to the caveman era. Now, that's not what we're talking about here. When it says prophecy will fail, tongues will cease, and knowledge will vanish away. Well, so what's he talking about here? He says, those things, listen, these things are about someone, but love is different. Love is not just about someone. Love is someone. You can read a book about somebody, right? But when you come to meet that person face to face, you don't, you don't need to reference the book. You've got them right there. We've got a book about somebody. But there's coming a day when we will see him face to face. We, we won't need to reference the book about him. He, he, he will be there. So, love never fails. But these other things will. Love is different than prophecy, than tongues, than knowledge. Because love is about someone. 1 John 4, 16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. Three very important words. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. God is love. So love never fails because God is love. But these can and will fail. Let's talk about these. Prophecies will fail. And they, they will drop away because there's coming a day when we will no longer hope for what, we, what is yet unseen. Paul says, why do we hope for what we see? Hope speaks of what is unseen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. So prophecy has to do with proclaiming something that is known but unseen. One day the unseen is, is, is going to fade away. It's going to be gone. One day, there's coming a day when we will no longer need to hope, but we will see and live fully face-to-face -face in the presence of Christ. There's coming a day when we will no longer need to proclaim or prophesy as a witness to Christ, for in that day, all will see him and know him face-to-face. Won't need prophecy in the same sense that we need it today. In a sense, I'm prophesying to you right now. I am proclaiming Christ to you right now. We've made prophecy this spooky thing. Now, it can take different shapes and different forms, but I'm telling you what, when we proclaim Christ, however, way, however we do it, we are prophesying. Because the point of prophecy is to proclaim Christ, to make known what God has declared. What has God declared? God has declared his son to us. And when we make known the son whom God has declared, we're prophesying. One day, when we are all face to face with Jesus, we won't need to be prophesying to people about Jesus. He will be there. We will be there. So prophecies will fail. They will drop away because we will see him and know him face to face. Tongues will cease They'll come to an end because there's coming a day when we will communicate with language no longer confused. Do you know our languages are confused today? What God confounded and scattered at Babel, let's, let's look real quick at Genesis 11, 9. Go to Genesis chapter 11, verse 9. Genesis 11, this is after the flood, man's come off the ark, Noah and his family, they've multiplied on the face of the earth. 
They got the bright idea that they were going to build themselves a city that would ascend up to heaven so that they would never die in a flood again. What does that tell you right there? They'd already forgotten, ignored, rejected the promise of God. God said, I'll never flood the earth again. I'll give you the sign of, a rain, of the rainbow as a covenant, as a signal, as an assurance. So these, all the people of the earth come together and they build this tower. Look at verse 4. And they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and, and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down there and confuse or confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad there over the face of the earth, and all ceased, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So before that time, they all had one language. There was not a confusion in their communication. God confused their language. Now, God doesn't do anything just for grins. That confusion of language was done very purposefully, and it was done looking ahead to something that God had in mind that would be far, far into the future. So they confused the language, and God confused the language back in Genesis at Babel, but he reversed what he confused at Pentecost. He reversed that at Pentecost when he poured out his spirit. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Spirit of God is poured out. They come out of the upper room. Verse 6, And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speaking in his own language. Now, think about that. They were, they were confused. Here's, here's what happened. All, now, it's the Feast of Pentecost. It was one of three feasts that all, every male was commanded to come appear before the Lord. So what that means is that at this feast, there are men from all over the world that have come there. From all nationalities, from all nations. And they're gathered in Jerusalem. And when the disciples come out of the upper room proclaiming the wonderful works of God, the men are confused because they can understand them. Wait, wait, wait a minute, we're not supposed to be able to understand them. This is confusing because uh, I'm Chinese and he's not Chinese, yet I, yet I understand him. This is confusing to me. God confused the language back in Genesis at Babel. But at Pentecost, when he poured out his spirit, he reversed that. It doesn't mean that he made the earth have one language. But yet, in a sense, that's kind of what God did. And they were confused because they understood. They've been living in confusion for so long that when God begins to bring order, they're confused by the order. Now, I want you to see that God brought a reversal at Pentecost when he poured out his spirit. So in Christ, we will come to see and experience all peoples brought together as one, in one. In that day, our language will no longer be confounded and we will communicate as one new man in Christ. You won't need an interpreter in heaven. You realize there's going to be all nationalities in heaven, right? Nationalities are not going to be abolished in heaven. I don't believe. 
In Christ, they are abolished. So we've got people from various nationalities represented in this building today. I believe you will, in some ways, still represent those nationalities. But in Christ, we are all brought together as one. So Paul didn't say that God's going to abolish Greeks and he's going to abolish Jews and he's going to abolish Mexicans and Irishmen and Africans. No, he says in Christ there is no longer this distinction. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. You're not defined any longer by your color or your nationality. You are now defined by your head who is Christ. We're going to look at the scripture as we go on here that God is bringing together in one all things. So in heaven, not just in heaven, but in Christ right now, the confusion is gone. God has reversed the curse. And we are now moving toward that day when tongues will cease. We, we won't have UN interpreters in heaven as God is speaking so that all men can understand. We will hear, we will speak, we will know a common language. We're moving in that direction. I don't know what that language will be. It doesn't really matter. I promise you, I can almost be certain, English will not be the, the, uh, the international language or the eternal language in heaven, okay? It's not going to be English. Whatever it is, though, there will be no confusion So in that day, our language will no longer be confounded and we will communicate as one new man in Christ. Knowledge will vanish away. It will be rendered idle because there's coming a day when we shall know even as we are known. That's what verse 12 tells us. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Then we shall know even as we are known. In Christ one day, face to face, we will come to a place of knowing him that will never be achieved while we are in this flesh. I promise you, you can come to know him right now in this flesh in a manner that is much greater than you could ever imagine. But the way that we will come to know him one day when we shed this flesh is greater than anything we could ever possibly achieve on this earth, in this flesh. So knowledge is going to vanish away one day. What's the point of knowledge? The point of knowledge is to inform us, make known to us Christ. Now we are growing in the knowledge of him. Then we shall know just as we are also known. It's not that there will no longer be knowledge. It's that there will no longer, listen, there will no longer be a lack or a hindrance in our knowledge of him or in our knowledge of who we are in him. We need to be informed of that now because we do not yet fully know. So we need to be informed of these things now because we do not yet fully know. But as we grow in the knowledge of Christ and in the grace of Christ, we are coming to a place where we are seeing more clearly. We are being transformed as we look into the face of Christ, even into the very same image. So all of this is progressive as we come to the fullness of Christ. So as all things are gathered together in one in Christ, this is what Ephesians 1.10 tells us, and as we grow up in all things into Christ, who is the head, this is what Ephesians 4, 13 and 15, you see this progression. God is bringing together, gathering together all things in one in Christ. We are growing up into him in all things, Ephesians 4 says. You see that there is this maturity that's taking place, this growing up that's taking place, just like we see our children. These babies are growing up. One day, that baby's not going to be laying on his mama's lap like he is right now. One day, mama's not going to be sitting there feeding him with a spoon because that baby's going to grow up and he's going to begin to be transformed and changed. This is what's happening to us right now as the body of Christ, whether you can see it or not. I can't see that baby growing, but I promise you that baby is growing right now 
though we can't see it. But if we were to come back in two years, that baby would look vastly different two years from now than he does right now. So it is with the body of Christ. This is progressive. It's about much more, listen, than spiritual gifts and whether they're still operating today. This is about Christ and the nature of our proclamation, our communication, and our knowledge of him. These things are being transformed as we progressively move to the consummation of all things in Christ, as we continue to grow up into him to full maturity as we are gathered together in one in Christ. And how is this made possible? It is love. It is the person who is love. It is God who makes this possible. So love never fails. It means love is eternal. God is love. God can never fail because God is eternal. God is love. Love will never fail for love is eternally bound in the eternal person of God. Amen? Verse 9, For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, when that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, here it is again, here's this picture of us maturing. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, and we were okay with that because that's what children do. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So before the service, Ephraim's sitting there and he's slinging his car across the floor. It's what children do, right? But listen, any one of you men, if you get that in there on your, on your uh, knees and you start slinging your little uh, cars across the floor and sliding across the floor, I'm going to think, okay, we got a problem here. It's okay for that three-year-old to do it, but that 33-year-old probably shouldn't be down there doing the same thing. Now, unless you're playing with your kid at home, that's okay. But you understand what I'm saying. When we become a man, when we're full-grown, we put away childish things. So we see this principle of maturity, of progressing to fullness. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face-to-face. Now I know in part, but then... I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. We know in part, but when love's revelation comes, because love reveals. Love reveals. Love is a person. Love never fails. Love reveals. It reveals something. When the revelation comes of the fullness, then that which is in part will be done away with. We see in a mirror dimly, but there's coming a day when we will see face to face. When we'll no longer look in the mirror and see the image of Christ There's coming a day when we won't look in the mirror any longer. We will look directly into the face of Christ. We won't see dimly anymore then. We will see clearly. Then the in part and the not seen and the dimly will be no more, for we shall see him as he is. Listen to 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, now, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. That is a progressive revelation that God is bringing about right now. And one day, either by death or by the return of Christ, we will break out of the temporal, the natural, the carnal, and we will break into the spiritual and the eternal. And the dimly will be gone. The unseen will be gone. The impart will be no more. And we shall see him and know him face to face. Now I know in part, but then face to face I shall know just as I am known. This was the Corinthians' problem. They didn't know truly who they were. They thought their worth was based on some gift or some status that they had. 
They didn't understand that their worth was only defined by Christ. And that love and all of these things weren't about them. It was about Christ. They were looking to the wrong person. They were looking to themselves and to one another when they should have been looking to Christ. And when they look to Christ, then they should be able to discern the body properly. That's the beauty of coming to this table every week. Coming to this table is not just about you trying to figure out what your issues are inside of yourself. As if you and Christ have your own thing going. The purpose of this table is to break that down and that we would properly discern the body, that we would discern whatever's happening in our heart in the context of who we are in Christ as the body of Christ. We can't do that in exclusion to one another. We can only do it as we understand that we, the many members, have been joined together in one body by one life. So when it's revealed in that day fully who he is, it will be revealed fully who we are in him. Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Listen, faith and hope speak of the substance of things unseen, but when the substance who is Christ is no longer unseen, then faith and hope will be consummated in the revealing and the revelation of Christ into what is now seen. And what will remain unchanged through all of this is love. Prophecy will change. Tongues will change. Knowledge will change. All of it's going to change. But what's unchanged is love. And the reason love is unchanged and the reason love is the greatest is because love is eternal and unchanging because God is eternal and unchanging because God is love. So love is a person who never fails. That person is Christ. He is eternal and he is gathering together in one all things in himself. Love reveals Christ who is all and in all. Love reveals, it makes the impart complete. It makes the dimly clear even to the point that we are face to face. And let me close with this scripture. Ephesians 1, 10 through 12. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. It is love who brings this to pass. We are right now being brought up into, growing up into all things in him, being gathered together as one in Christ. It's taking place right now. And as that's taking place, there should be an increased manifestation, just like when we put a seed in the ground. In time, we're going to begin to see that seed manifest. There has been planted in your heart a seed who is Christ. The Spirit of God in you is causing that seed to grow and to manifest. One day, it's going to grow to fullness and to full maturity. And the impart, the dimly, and the unseen will pass away and we will see him face to face. We will know him and we will know just as we are known. Amen? It is love that will make that possible. Let's all stand. It's love, it's Christ who enables you to manifest these characteristics. If Christ is in you, then let the long-suffering of Christ be made known through you. If Christ is in you, let the kindness of Christ be made known through you. If Christ is in you, then let the faith of Christ, the endurance of Christ, the hope of Christ, the love of Christ never fail in you. Amen.
Father in heaven, we pray right now that you would do a work by your spirit in each one of us. God, this is not about us increasing. Lord, this is about us decreasing that Christ would increase. Lord, when a farmer plants a seed in the ground, he doesn't plant a seed in the ground so that the ground could increase. He plants a seed in the ground so that the seed would increase. Help us, God, to understand that we are but the ground you have created to plant your seed in, who is Christ. And help us, God, be good ground that will bring forth some 30, some 60, some 100-fold in the increase of the seed who is Christ. Let Christ, who is love, be made known through us. God, help us to love. Help us to demonstrate that and manifest that in our life and through our life to those around us. And when we fail, God, and we surely will fail, God, help us to rest in the promise and the assurance that you never fail and that you never give up and that you never lose hope and that when we fall down, God, you bear us up in love and you continue your work of transformation in us, conforming us to the image of your Son. That is the promise that you give to each of your children that regardless of how dark and destitute our situation may look, you work all things together for good. So, Father, I pray today that you give hope. Give hope to your people. Give hope to your children today. If there are any here who have never come to know Christ in a saving way, who cannot honestly say in their heart, I know I'm a child of God. It has nothing to do with being perfect. It has nothing to do with having it all together. It just has to do with knowing from a witness in your heart, whether you have or whether you have not ever come to saving faith in Christ. And if you have never come to that place of knowing that you are a child of God, Lord, I pray that today, Lord, we would yield our hearts to you. We would cry out from the depths of our heart, from a heart of faith, we would cry out, Lord, save us. And we trust in your promise that if we cry out, upon the name of the Lord, that you will indeed save us. Lord, be glorified in your church. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Do a work in us by your Spirit. Help us, God, to go beyond the surface and grow in the grace and the knowledge, even to the very depths of the knowledge of Christ. Let us be satisfied with nothing Bless God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.